there's things that we have to give up in order to get what we want. And it's not always going to look perfect, but we're going to get to where we're going because we're making intentional choices. Hey folks, this is Abe Shreve. Welcome to the Choose Difficult podcast. The path to success is not easy. And here we tell the stories of extraordinary individuals who choose difficult and change the world they live in. In Michigan, there is an amazing woman that owns a business called Choose Life, C-H-E-W-S. It's called Choose Life because part of her product line is for children, small children actually, so that they can chew on it. Her name is Shannon Went, and in my opinion, she is a brilliant and insightful businesswoman. Last year, her little company that started on Etsy did just over a million dollars. Shannon is business savvy, she's very intelligent, but like most business owners, her business was inspired by some really difficult times in her life. Now listen to me, we are at something like seven or eight episodes into this podcast, and if you're hearing me now, I'm gonna assume we're friends, so let me come in hot for just a moment. I am not ever gonna shy away from a person's origin story. Today you're gonna hear a lot about faith, Shannon's faith in fact. And it's an important part of understanding what it is that pushes this woman and this company to exceed goals. And if you're driving down the road, I want you to look at all those businesses you're passing. Every one of those have an origin story. Let's get into Shannon's. We did just over a million dollars last year during COVID, (laughs) which was, it was a sprint to the finish. (laughs) We all were a little grayer by the end of the year, but this year, and I think really because we've spent so much investing in our systems and creating processes for things that we've kind of caught up on the growth that we missed. Our goal for last year was a little bit higher than where we ended up, but we we're kind of on track now to where we would have been had COVID never happened. We've, we've grown in 2021 over 2020 nearly 200% year over year already. That is phenomenal growth. Now Choose Life, Shannon's company, creates rosary bead products, rosaries. And she explained to me that in the Catholic faith, rosary beads, it's a strand of beads and you offer structured prayers for each of the beads. And it really facilitates your connection and your communication with God. And I learned that oftentimes these beads become family heirlooms. They become prized possessions. And there is a very loyal community of people out there looking for them. Shannon has always sought creativity and business, that combination, creating something and creating business. And someone recently asked her, what is it about you that pushes you to do more and be more and create? Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, we were talking about business. This is a you know well-respected friend, businesswoman. And we were talking about the people on our teams. And she said something to me like, what is it about you? What do you have that just makes you want to do really big things and exceed expectations and do things that people tell you you can't do? At the time, I gave her some answer about hustle, how I've always kind of had a side hustle going on. I sold rocks as a kid door to door. I tried to have a dog walking business and, you know, always doing something to try to earn money to go down to the corner store, whatever it was. And even when I gave her that answer, I knew that wasn't really all of it. So I was really, really thinking about where that came from. 
When Shannon was five years old, her mom and dad got a divorce. And she said it didn't change that much because her father wasn't around very much when she was little. In fact, one of the things that he did is he sold fur coats in Texas. He was a bit of a workaholic, as she described it. So she always felt like it was her, her sister, and her mom. And so they moved to Michigan, and her mom worked as a nurse. In fact, she would end up retiring working for the same doctor after years and years. But she had a very strong work ethic. They really had to be creative as a family because they didn't have a lot of money. Super poor. (laughs) I mean, like the first Christmas that we were in Michigan, I remember not having enough money for a Christmas tree until like the whatever it was, like the Friday before Christmas. And we got this little junky, ratty Christmas tree, like total Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And we didn't have enough money to even buy ornaments. And so we made ornaments out of cookies. We made cookies, Christmas cookies, and hung them on our Christmas tree. And in so many other ways, we had to get really creative. We had to make our own fun. We didn't have money to do a lot of things, but we always had to find ways to be creative. And I realized what my mom taught me was that I couldn't have everything, but that if I was willing to sacrifice enough, if I was willing to work hard enough, I could have anything that I wanted. And really like the the biggest example, getting back to the horses, it was my mom's lifelong dream. She had a pony as a little kid and she always loved horses. And at different points in my childhood, you know, pinched pennies to get me horse lessons, you know, as long as she could afford it. and, And then she wasn't able to anymore. And when I was in junior high, like the stars sort of aligned and this amazing ratty little pony <laughs> that nobody else wanted, who hated everybody in the world, presented herself to my mom, this opportunity. And she scraped the money together. I think she was only like $500 or something, which you know was a ton of money to us back then. And then to have to come up with the money for, for board and all the other stuff. But this was not like a, a show ready horse. This was not <laughs> somebody that I could have just like jumped on and kept up with the other kids who were in 4-H. We worked our tail off with this <laughs> ratty little pony and she ended up being the sweetest thing loved only us and nobody else <laughs> because we invested so much into her but really in so many other ways throughout my childhood we had to make a lot of sacrifices to make something happen also like in high school had the opportunity to go to florida on vacation and, and up until this point we really had only ever taken vacations camping and never really done much more than that. And so we had the opportunity to go to Florida. And I remember saving all year long to be able to go to Florida. And throughout the year, we'd have to make conscious decisions. My mom would say, you know, do you want to take this class or do this thing? Or would you rather have this money go towards our Florida vacation? This money could mean, you know, that you know, maybe we get to go to Disney or that we get to do this, you know, and she would put things in perspective for us. And so we made a lot of sacrifices, a lot of really intentional choices for the things that we want. We had to say no to a lot of things so that we could intentionally choose what was better. We had to give up good things for better things. And it wasn't until I had that question posed to me a couple of weeks ago, and I really had to think about where this came from in me. And that creativity, even though my mom is not entrepreneurial whatsoever, that creativity 
is something within me that there have been so many barriers and reasons why I should not be able to have the successful business that I do, that I should have the team that I do, that, you know, we're growing as quickly as we're growing, that we've been able to overcome so many things because I kind of don't take no for an answer because I know that there's always a creative solution that we just have to be willing to make the right kind of sacrifices, the right choices. There's things that we have to give up in order to get what we want. And it's not always going to look perfect, but we're going to get to where we're going because we're making intentional choices. And I think the ability to make those choices, the ability to give up good things for better things is something I'm incredibly grateful to my mom for. And it would have to be podcast malpractice to not just hit the pause button for a minute and point out what Shannon just said. This is incredible wisdom. We make choices and sometimes we have to make hard choices because we're going to choose something great over something good. Not every choice is something bad and something good. And so this principle of delayed gratification is one that we don't talk enough about, I believe, in the world. A season of sacrifice to get what you want. Zach and Shannon decided that they wanted to purchase a house and they started saving. They moved in with family. When friends would go out, they wouldn't go. They would just save for the house. They got really intentional, really focused. They bought a home, they flipped it, they paid off debts. And then Shannon learns an additional lesson about delayed gratification from kind of a funny source. My grandparents gave me a call one day and my grandma said, they had a bunch of a bunch of friends that would take a tour bus up north and go to the casino a couple times a year just for fun, something for them to do. And my grandma called me and said, you know, they just got home from the casino and they had a really good time and she really wanted to take us out for dinner. My mom called me and told me that my grandma won money at the casino and that she wanted to take us out for dinner. And so grandma called and invited us out for dinner. And she didn't know that my mom had already let us know that they had won money at the casino. And so Zach and I are kind of talking and we're really kind of building this up to each other. Like, what if they want to give us enough money for a down payment? And we're thinking like, you know, she really hit it big. She's going to give us like five or $10,000. We're going to be able to get this house that we've been looking at. How awesome is this going to be? This is so exciting. And we're just kind of like, waiting and waiting through dinner for her to like finally tell us how much we were getting. And she builds it up. She tells the whole story about the game they were playing. And I didn't hear any of the story, just waiting <laughs> for, you know, how much that was going to be. And she's so excited. She finally tells us she's splitting her winnings between her four grandkids and she's giving us $500, which is so amazing, but not at all what we were expecting. We were thinking like this was our down payment. And we were so like polite and so gracious and so appreciative and put that money to good use, but very, very disappointed. And looking back, entirely grateful that we were not gifted that down payment. We had to pinch and save every single dollar of that down payment. And that house meant so much to us. And later when we bought the house, my grandparents were in their gosh, late seventies then still came and like helped us. <laughs> the house needed a ton of work. They came and painted and put up doors and hung lights and all kinds of stuff. We're really starting to understand where Shannon gets her grit and her determination and her ability to just put her head down and just forge forward. 
working towards something that's important to her. Zach and Shannon told me that they had always wanted to have a big family. Zach was an only child. Shannon uh, grew up with her sister and her mom, but they had been part of a youth group and they would go to these homes of these youth leaders and they would have large families. And she said there was always something going on and they both just, they both really wanted that. They decided to start their family and really in no time at all, it seemed, they had three in diapers and a five-year-old and they started to experience a crazy life, a hectic life, but the fulfillment of a house full of children. They had two more kids, and now they're at five. And this vision of their family is really starting to take shape. And as often is the case, life is a cruel teacher at times. This would be a hard season for Shannon and Zach. The first miscarriage was fairly typical, if you can even say that, of a miscarriage just pretty early went kind of normally, no real complications or anything, really too remarkable. Then the next loss that I had was a little bit farther along. This one was about 11 weeks and it was a really rare form of miscarriage called a partial molar pregnancy, which actually has a very high likelihood of developing into cancer. It's when the placental tissue turns into a cluster of grape-like tumors. And so it's totally not viable. So the the baby really doesn't stand a chance at all. And after the miscarriage, if there is any of this placental tissue left at all, it continues to grow. It metastasizes through your body, usually settles into the lungs and it causes trophoblastic cancer. And so after we lost this little one was just months and months and months of follow-up testing just to make sure, you know, that all of the tissue was removed, that there wasn't any cancer it can lay dormant and continue and begin growing, I think up to like four or five months after the miscarriage. And so every other week, blood draws, lots of tests, of course, tests, you know, to figure out like what was going wrong. You know, why weren't we having healthy pregnancies anymore? So went through about six months of a ton of testing and really just not even being able to really even move on yet because usually with the miscarriage, the the process of miscarriage is sort of over. You can then kind of feel like you can begin to heal, but it felt like this miscarriage really carried on for six whole months. And so really very tough. And what I didn't recognize then was that I was beginning to experience postpartum depression. And so the next part of this story is where it gets really hard. And I feel like I have to explain it a little bit more because as a Catholic, we have a very different outlook on on life and children and pregnancy than most people are. One of our core beliefs is that we're open to life, that we believe that fertility is a gift to us and we have to manage it in healthy ways to keep ourselves and our families as healthy as possible. But really that it, it always is a gift and that when a couple is together, they should always be open to whatever the Lord wants to do. And so at this point, we were open, like we knew we wanted more kids and we got the all clear, finished up the testing, no cancer. So we got the okay from the doctor and within the next month, we were pregnant again. And this time, everything looked fantastic. All of my blood work, the ultrasounds, everything was going along seemingly perfectly. And then around 16 weeks, we found out that we had also lost this little one. And 
this time around. So with the second loss, so the first loss I was able to just miscarry naturally at home. The second loss, I had to go in to the hospital to help get all of, even after the baby was gone, just the, the, the rest of the pregnancy. So it was a surgery. And then this third time, because I was in the second trimester, that surgery wasn't even an option anymore. I actually had to go into the hospital, be induced and labor and deliver this little one who had already passed on. And at this point in our marriage, Zach and I were both dealing, even before this loss, really dealing with our grief totally separately. We both were just kind of on completely different planets when it came to grieving. I was trying to hide it and pretend like I'm fine. I'm okay. And Zach really escaped into alcohol, into work, into pretty much anything he could to avoid having to look me in the eye and really talk about what was really hurting the both of us so much. I can't imagine how hard it would be to experience one miscarriage after another, after another three in 11 months. And the last one being so hard that she actually had to have it delivered. Don't forget, they have a whole household of children. And you can only imagine how stressful this was on the marriage and on the relationship. Shannon said that on her way to the hospital to have this procedure done, to have this child removed, they got into a huge fight. She was questioning her faith. She said she's never felt lower. At this point, my faith was totally shaken. I found myself totally unable to pray even. I was really, really angry that the Lord would let this happen again. And I didn't trust him anymore. And I walked out of that hospital room more empty than I had ever felt in my entire life. Physically, I had just been emptied out. Emotionally, entirely empty, more empty than I'd ever felt. And our our marriage, our relationship, a source that should give me life was absolutely empty of any consolation. And this depression, this emptiness carried on for a while. Shannon said she didn't even want to pray. She just told us that she didn't trust the Lord. And I don't think any of us can blame her. She's just lost three children. And she said that this was a time that they still continued to go to church and they kind of put on the face, but they were not entering in. And one day it occurred to Shannon that there was a prayer that she could offer. And it was the only prayer that she could offer. And she said that it was a prayer that essentially said, I belong to you, speaking to the Lord. That was the prayer. She said she needed the hope that there was something better after this life. She needed the hope that one day she could see these little ones. And it was the offering of this prayer that actually was the starting genesis for her business. It was this that started to crack open a slight ray of sunshine, a little hope. What that did in my heart was open it up just a little bit. And in our Catholic faith, we have a very close relationship with Jesus's mother, Mary. And it was at this point in my life that I needed her. I needed a mother. And I, of course, rejected the idea that I needed that. And the rosary is a Catholic prayer that involves Our Lady and it's kind of meditations on the life of Mary and the life of Christ. It's really walking with Our Lady through the life of Christ. 
And so at this point in my life, it had been about 18 months since I'd had any kind of real prayer at all. And I began to feel a call back to praying the daily rosary. It was a habit that I had in high school and early on in college that, you know, in the busyness of raising little kids, I just kind of put on the shelf, but it's kind of a long prayer. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes to say a rosary. And so I'd written it off as totally impossible. And of course, just so angry at the Lord, like, why would I even want to do this anyways? What's the point? But the Lord began to get really persistent and I couldn't deny what he was asking me anymore. I had rosaries show up, random people who I barely knew, you know, would give me rosaries. I just, I just found this and I thought you, you might want it. I found a rosary prayer card in my locked car. My toddler brought me a rosary that somebody had given me when I was in high school that I thought we lost in a move that I hadn't seen for years. And just all of these little signs that were very obviously God pointing me in that direction. And I couldn't ignore him anymore. And so I had the longest prayer that I'd had in 18 months. I gave him all of my excuses, all of these reasons why I couldn't possibly pray. I you know, I could never find my rosary. If I did manage to find my rosary, my kids have probably already broken it. If I manage to find a rosary that isn't broken, then my kids are definitely going to interrupt me and I'm never going to remember to pick up where I left off. So what's the point? And I kind of flopped all of these excuses down at his feet. And that was the end of my prayer. And within a week of that very snarky prayer, the Lord inspired the design of our rosary bracelets. And it literally solved every single one of the excuses that I had given him. It was something that I could wear on my wrist. So it was always right here. I could always find it. They were super sturdy. So my kids couldn't break them. Traditionally, rosaries are made of just like very fine, like links. And so they are easily broken. And what was really unique about it is he inspired this design of a movable charm on the rosary that worked like a little bookmark. So I could pray this 20 minute prayer in small chunks throughout the day. And at first it might take me a week to get through a rosary, but I was kind of at the, at the point of desperation. Like, you know, I really didn't have any hope that it was going to change anything, but I didn't have anything else to do. And I was really tired of being really tired and feeling so empty. And the other part of that too was I've had a small Etsy shop at the time and closed it when we lost our third little one. And we were just getting to the point where money was getting tight. We needed to come up with a few hundred dollars more every month. And so I needed to open the shop back up and I opened the shop back up with some of the old products. I had knit goods and a few just, you know, sort of generic jewelry things and on a whim just tossed the rosary bracelet that I made in there and it sold right away. And then the next one sold and the next one. And then Catholic bloggers were picking it up and sharing about them. And I was, I was selling them faster than I could make them. And then I began to feel a little bit guilty (laughs) that I was selling so many rosaries and praying so very little. So out of a sense of guilt, (laughs) good old Catholic guilt, I started praying the rosary more and more. And what I discovered in praying the rosary and really beginning to look at the life of Christ with the mother of Christ, I found 
not the Mary that we see in Christmas cards, like that perfect 20 something who looks very well rested and, you know, totally unrelatable. I discovered a road weary, blood stained, dirty mother who had just walked the way of the cross behind her son, who had suffered every single step right along with him. I found a mother who knew how broken and sad I was. But instead of turning inward, like I had done, her example showed me how to look higher. Instead of looking into myself, I was able to look up again and look back at why this all began, why I did all this. And I was able to kind of through her motherly care and her beautiful example of what it means to be a mother, rekindle my relationship with the Lord. And it's, you know, of course, a very long journey. (laughs) There was no like televangelist moment of, you know, miraculous healing where I just woke up and felt, you know, like a new person. It was a slow journey of the right people coming into my life, of the right kind of medical care, the right words, the right books, all of those things kind of adding up towards healing. And it, you know, I still feel like it's a journey that I'm on. And there has been a ton of healing in my life since then. We went on to have another after, after that set of three losses, we had another little one who just turned six. And then a couple years after she was born, we experienced another second trimester loss, which of course was just as devastating, just as heartbreaking as, and and even more so in a lot of ways, it was harder than any of the other losses, not only because it was farther along, but because going through that loss also just meant I was also grieving for all of the other little ones. And so with this one, we named him Alexander. I was 20 weeks along when I lost Alexander. And this time going through labor and delivery was an entirely different process because I no longer felt alone and empty. And even though it was just as gut-wrenching and heartbreaking, and I sobbed even harder than I ever have in my life, I still had this deep consolation that I was being cared for, that I was being loved, and that this broke the Lord's heart too. And that this wasn't his plan, that we live in this world where horrible things happen because because we're because we're human because this is broken and and because this isn't heaven and that time Zach and I were able having gone through so much healing and really this healing process began separately for the two of us but we really came together and not only individually did we heal but our marriage saw a lot of healing and so going through this again together was a completely different story and so much just more uh, restorative to walk through it together and not have to do it on my own. You know, I never really had to do it on my own. <laughs> that was just my own fallen nature thinking I was doing it on my own. But this time it was a really different story. And after that, we had one more little one. Our, our little guy turns two in a couple of days. And there still have been, there've been other enormous trials in our life and in our marriage since then. But that really kind of gave us this, the strength to face these things and the language about how we 
how we work through these things together. Also, like having gone through something and come to the other side of a storm, realizing that when we come up against other storms that we've been through this before, and even though this storm looks so different, we know that we have the strength to be able to do that. We know we have the resources. We know we don't walk through this storm alone. Having experienced it before made other storms easier to walk through. In her darkest hour, she found her way out of the darkness in the prayers that she would offer in the rosary, this relationship that she had with God and with Mary. This would actually be the thing that would bring her and Zach back together. It would start to heal their broken hearts. And one of the challenges that Shannon faced as a mother is she's got all these little kids and a typical rosary is pretty brittle. I mean, it's not kid-proof. They would break the beads apart. And it takes about 15 minutes, she said, to complete a rosary, and she would lose her place. So she had this idea to make a bracelet that was a little more durable with a little charm that she could move along. And if she got interrupted or she had to do something to attend to one of the other kids, she wouldn't lose her place. And she could come back and pick up this conversation with the Lord where she left it. She decided to put it on the Etsy store, and it sold and another one sold, and another one sold, and all of a sudden, it turns out people want this product. They want what it does for them. I got to the point where I was selling this stuff way faster than I could make it myself. And for a little while, I would invite friends over for coffee. (laughs) We would all sit around and I'd feed them snacks and, and coffee and entertain them and they would make things for me. And it was really informal and the work <laughs> that I would get would re- reflect the fact that we were all talking and sometimes drinking wine is in the evening. So the quality wasn't dependable and it was hard to scale anything like that. And it was still the same kind of problem where we weren't able to keep up with demand. And I got to the point where I either had to shut this thing down because it was taking over my life or hire somebody to help me. And that was a huge, I think, you know, like level up this isn't just a hobby. This isn't just, you know, whatever. I got to get serious about this. And so hired my first assistant and that really changed everything. Brought a lot of, I had to get responsible. (laughs) I had to start taking things seriously, start really treating this like a business, start managing finances. This wasn't just, you know, my slush fund anymore. And it was fantastic being able to understand. And actually what that taught me was that I don't always have to trade my time for more money that I could bring other people into my world and benefit them with great work and a good income. And then we both would grow. The company would grow. It would kind of level everybody up. And it just really grew very organically from there. The company kept growing, you know, as we were able to meet demand and ship things out faster and have better customer service and higher quality of products. We began to bring in other people one at a time. And then we had all of these people, all of these sales, and then we needed to bring in systems. And so ended up hiring an engineer (laughs) to be our chief operating officer and made it her job to apply systems to all of this that we were doing. And so that's really how we've continued to grow. So it started as is just me <laughs> with my one assistant. Then we hired two more makers and that grew at the time that we hired Cindy, who's our current COO. I think we had maybe five or six makers on the team, one person doing customer service and me 
and then Cindy. And right now we have a team of 35 women who make products for us. And there's 10 of us on staff. Shannon calls it the maker model. And it's how the beads are actually created and fulfilled. See, part of the mission of the company is she wants to help mothers be able to stay home with their kids and still make some extra money. And so there's a process where the materials are put together and her makers will come and pick them up. They will make the orders and they will bring them back. And that is how they are paid. I once asked Shannon, why don't you look overseas? Have you looked at other, maybe more economically feasible methods for fulfillment? And she will not even entertain the conversation. And remember this, she's really business savvy. So it's not like she's just naive and she's just wanting to run with this vision that sounds good. The whole purpose of this company is to connect people to what matters most. And so there's a group of women that are able to stay home with their kids and be a part of providing these incredible products. I wish we had more time to share with you the incredible lessons that Shannon has shared with us. I did ask her, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in your journey thus far? Having to make intentional choices and sacrifices. And the lesson that I really want my kids to understand is, you know, even as a family, we can have anything, but we can't have everything. We probably can't have a clean house and delicious dinners and, you know, thriving businesses that, that send us on fun vacations. We can't have all of those things at the same time. We have to make choices. And really what I've come to understand is that, you know, trying to manage a growing family and a growing business isn't so much trying to keep this work-life balance like a, a set of scales. It's a lot more like a seesaw. And whatever those like four-sided seesaws are, it's kind of like that. <laughs> but it's really some seasons, some days, some weeks where some aspect of my life has to kind of get left up in the air because I've got to put my feet on the ground with, you know, work or life or family, whatever it is. And then things can kind of shift and, you know, maybe work gets left up in the air for a little bit and I've got my feet down on the ground with whatever project, whatever thing the kids need to work on. and then things might shift. So I think understanding that balance, the give and take, you can't have everything, making sacrifices intentionally. If we're going to sacrifice a, you know, an immaculately clean house, well, at least we have a lot of fun going hiking and being outdoors, something like, you know, understanding that it's an intentional, it's not just default. Well, I just, you know, don't like housekeeping. So I'm just not, no, it, it is a choice. Like we're making a choice to spend time together outdoors instead of spending Saturday clean. And the other reason that this, all of this craziness works is leverage, is having the right kind of help. I don't, I, I get asked that question all the time. How do you do it all? And the answer is that I do not do it all. <laughs> I have wonderful grandparents that help us at home, that help get the kids where they need to go, that help with dinners. I have big kids that do a ton of chores, you know, that also help with dinner, help with the little kids do things, you know, run errands. And my in my business life, I've got leverage there too. In my business life, we have amazing an amazing team of women who I can trust to, you know, run a project, people that I can, I don't have to, you know, get into all the details. I know that we've hired them while well, we've trained them while well, we've equipped them and they can do their job really well. And I don't need to get into all of those details. I definitely, you know, 
need to be involved and make sure that I'm providing all those things that they need. But having the right people, having the right kind of help, having the humility to ask for help (laughs) in your personal life, which can be tough, I think is incredibly important because you'll kill yourself trying to do it all. I really learned a lot from Shannon. Clearly at a very young age, she learned the importance of making the right decision and delayed gratification, making decisions today based on what's best, not on what's good. And I really appreciated Shannon's willingness to share the depths of her story. It is heart-wrenching, but in it, you see the passion, you see the source of the passion behind this company's mission. I mean, this is what brought her from the darkness. Interestingly enough, I was looking at her goals and talking to her about her goals. She's got great spreadsheets, which I love as a business coach. She has clear metrics. Everybody's clear on what they're doing, but their number one priority last year was 1 million prayers. They had financial goals, they have all kinds of goals, but what drove them into the late night hours working to keep everything together was 1 million prayers. Simon Sinek once said, people buy why you do what you do, not what you do. And Shannon is a great example of that. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're a business leader and you'd like to know what hiring a coach would look like for you and your organization, head on over to mymapscoach.com and let's set up a meeting. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and leaving us an honest review. It really helps us in our mission to help others. I hope you've enjoyed our time together, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue to explore the stories of extraordinary individuals who choose difficult. 